0: Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 115, and we're going to talk about one of the most important things in van life, the thing to keep above all other things, and that is perspective. We're also going to talk about fuel prices, because holy cow, do we need perspective on fuel prices right now. And we're going to talk about Toyota motorhomes, a portable scooter, and the best place to visit that's available to everyone. Whew, folks, what a week it has been. It has been an historic week. Oh, I'm sorry, it has been a historic week. It turns out it's not an, it's a. And it has been a difficult week, and for me personally, I am doing some crazy, crazy things that I will share with you that all sort of relate to van life. But yeah, I, I revealed that I was buying a piece of land and that is going through well, that that is happening. We're going to close on that land March 31st. And then on April 1st, I'm going to fly somewhere and pick something up that will go on the land. And this is the craziest, maybe dumbest thing i have ever done (laughs) and i may not survive it but i promise i'm going to bring you along from the safety of whatever chair or jogging street you happen to be on yeah because folks because 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 of all the wonderful things it does perspective matters so much So every week when I'm doing this podcast, I start making the next week's podcast. About Wednesday evening, that means I produce a podcast and put it up on Wednesday, and then by Wednesday evening, I'm already thinking, what's next week going to be about? Now, I don't have this big master plan of episodes, it's done week by week, which I like because then I can react to things happening in the world, but I don't want this to be a reactive podcast, meaning I don't want to search the news for what outrage to report this week or anything like that, but I do take seeds. And this week, how can we not talk about fuel prices again? Now, I just talked about fuel prices, I think it was two episodes ago. It doesn't seem proper to talk about that again. So yeah, if you're worried about saving fuel, here is the 12-second version of how to save fuel. Keep your tires properly inflated, slow down, and drive less. All right, that was probably like six seconds. That's it. But there's a much bigger aspect to everyone's panic over fuel prices. And it's not political. Please, no politics for this podcast. We're going to put all that aside. If you have some grand theory as to how one person is controlling all fuel prices, excellent. I don't want to hear it. I want to talk about the perspective of what we're doing here. What are we doing What we're doing is not consuming fuel. Yes, we are consuming fuel. You must consume fuel to do any form of van life, even if you're living in a stationary van that never moves, a theme that may come up again in the future. But that is a means to an end, and we need to keep perspective on the end. We do van life because it lets us do things we want to do. It lets us be independent. It lets us be free. It lets us see places. It lets us be minimalist. It lets us survive. There's many, many, many reasons to do van life, and none of them are so we can use fuel. Using fuel is a necessity. So let's stop being so obsessed with fuel prices and look at them for what they really are, which is a number. They are a number in your budget. They're a frustrating number. They're a number you can't control, but that's all they are, is a number. So if you have a budget of, let's just use simoleons instead of real money here, let's say you have a budget of 200 simoleons for the month, and you budgeted 5 simoleons for fuel. Okay, well that gives you 195 simoleons to spend on campgrounds, or electricity, or solar panels, or repairs, or food, or whatever. But then uh uh-oh fuel prices are now 10 simoleons double you're paying double as much for fuel so what do you do do you somehow come up with a magic other five dollars and make your budget 205 simoleons you could you maybe could find another source of income if that was your thing or you can just adjust your numbers on your budget you can look at that 200 simoleon budget and say hey i need to find five more simoleons here somewhere Or if you think fuel prices are going to be temporary, maybe you consider this a temporary expense, like a repair that you're going to amortize over time. But whatever you do, it's just a number. It's just a number. You don't have to associate a whole lot of emotion with it. Yes, fuel prices have gone way up. No, fuel prices are not the highest they've ever been. <laughs> As of this recording, I mean, heck, it's it's Wednesday morning. By Wednesday afternoon, that may have changed. But the truth is, is that while fuel prices are much higher than they were a year ago, In the U.S., they're still much cheaper than they are in the rest of the world. Americans seem to forget how fortunate we are to have this cheap fuel. Also, when I was first driving in the mid-80s, I paid $1.33 a gallon, and I made $5 an hour. A large portion of my income was going to fuel, and that ratio isn't the same today. Average wages have gone way up since the 80s, arguably not as much as they should have, I grant you that. But the cost of fuel in the average person's budget, even with today's prices, is still not the highest they've ever been. And I'm not saying they won't get there. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But that helps with this perspective of removing emotion from this and realizing that, yeah, things are more than they were, but this isn't the worst it's been. So your fuel problem, your fuel increase problem is solved with math. You just have to fix that number in there. But okay... So you're looking at your budget and you realize, ah, oh, man, I really I, I had this big trip planned and now it's going to cost so much more than I budgeted. What do I do? Well, guess what? I'm in that situation. I had just finished planning an epic 5,500 mile road trip that I was going to take you along through Newfoundland, and which, if you look at a map, yeah, it's just Canada. But holy cow, it's super far away, Canada. (laughs) 5,500 mile trip. It would have taken me almost a month. And now I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait a year, mostly because of fuel. Also because I'm buying this land and I've got other stuff going on. But fuel has been a big factor in this decision. So I changed my plans because of fuel prices. But I am not despondent about it. I'm not angry about it. I'm like, okay, this happened. What am I going to do instead? So what I'm going to do instead to help offset the extra costs of fuel is to devote time to this land I'm buying. I'm going to explore that area. I'm basically going to take more local trips than more of these lengthy trips. And yes, that might mean I don't finish this Aurora project this year, but honestly, I'm the only one who's interested in the Aurora project, so that's okay. That can wait. But here's a crazy idea on perspective. Now, remember, what we're doing here is van life. That is important. We are going to do that anyway. If the price of insurance goes up, we're still going to do van life. Price of repairs goes up, we're still going to do van life. Any of those numbers change, we're going to find a way to make it work. But that kind of hurts, right? I mean, we're talking about emotions here. Perspective is a matter of emotions, ultimately, what can you do to offset your emotions, which are important? You don't want to just discount them. Well, here's an idea. Fuel prices have gone way up. You're going to spend more money for fuel if you want to travel. What if, you traded? what if you traded travel for something else? For example, let's say you had a trip planned and you're going to guess that it's going to cost you $500 more to do that trip now that fuel prices have increased. Okay, what if you made a deal with yourself? $500. What if you split that in half, 250 bucks, and you gave yourself that 250 bucks and bought something interesting with it, like an instrument that you were going to learn, or a bike, or skates, or a surfboard. I have no idea how much surfboards cost. And then you spent time focusing on that. What that would do, it would prevent you from traveling as much and give you a positive thing to do with spending a little bit more money. Now, yeah, you're right, you're saying, but Jeff, you're still spending more money than you were planning on. Yes, you are, but you're getting benefit out of it, where arguably spending more money on fuel doesn't give you any benefit, if you see what I'm saying there. It's a little bit of a complex psychological trick, but it would end up saving you money over traveling a lot, and you'd get something for it. It's just an idea. That's all, but I like it. So no matter what, consider that you are doing van life for a reason, that reason hasn't changed simply due to fuel prices. And I'm going to jump right now into Tales from the Road and tell you two stories that relate to this. So as you may know, I'm a travel agent. I've been a travel agent for a while. I'm kind of a hobbyist travel agent, but I I do send people on trips. And years ago, I had a client call me up and say they wanted to go on a cruise. It happened to be out of Baltimore, and it was going down into the Caribbean. Very nice cruise. He was an older gentleman, and I had a little trouble understanding him on the phone. And, you know, but whatever, that's fine. I can work with that, of course. And we booked the cabin, and he's talking about upgrades and all this stuff. And normal, everyday cruise. And then the next day, I get a call from his wife. And she's like, I'm not sure we want to go on this cruise. Now, this puts me in a very awkward position because I have one spouse wanting to book a cruise and another spouse not wanting to book the cruise and somehow arm the arbiter, you know, I'll like, hey, folks, figure this out amongst yourselves. But then I heard what the message was. She was okay with the cruise. She was worried about his health. Would the cruise negatively affect his health? So in that case, my job is clear. All I need to do is inform people. And I was like, well... Yes, travel can be a stressor, travel can induce health problems, however, you are in one of the safest places in the world to have a health emergency on a ship, because even though you're far from land, there's an ER on the ship. There's always a licensed emergency medicine doctor on the ship, and I have had people be taken off of ships for health problems. It's actually not a bad place to be. And so they talked about it, and they decided, okay, they'd go on this cruise. They go on the cruise, they have a wonderful time. And as they're getting off the ship, my client, the person who first called me, drops dead on the pier. Done. Now ask yourself, did they make the right decision? And my answer is yes, they absolutely made the right decision. He went on that cruise, he wanted to. Did the cruise kill him? Uh, I don't think so. We'll never know the answer to that. Would he have lived another year at home if he hadn't gone on the cruise? Maybe. I don't know. But I can tell you what, he wanted to live his life. He wanted to go on a cruise, and he did, and good for him. And in the end, the wife agreed. Here's another story along those lines. I had a relative, two relatives, a couple once again. They were infrequent cruisers, but went once in a while, and... They decided they wanted to go on a cruise. Um but then the husband's health took a turn for the worse. And so the wife decided to cancel the cruise and to nurse her husband back to health, which is absolutely admirable. I have no issues with that. The problem is he had Alzheimer's and he never came back to health ever. In fact, they never traveled again. He faded away tragically as so many with this horrible disease do. And they lost that moment of memories that they could have had if they were just a little bit more willing to take risks. And I know not everyone has the same risk tolerance, but the way I think this applies to us is, if you can do something you want to do now, there's a good argument to do it because you may lose that opportunity later. And that is kind of driving my changes in my life that I'm making right now with land and this other insane, ridiculous project that I promise I will stop teasing and will tell you about soon. So perspective, that's my message for this week. You should find your own perspective. But my perspective lately has been Leroy Jenkins. Tech Talk you ever seen those Toyota motorhomes? Now, I'm not talking about the the Japan domestic market ones like Element Van Life had. I'm talking about the old Toyota, little Toyota pickup trucks, they're technically called a Hilux, which is a strange name, that had like a Class C body on them. They were super popular in the 80s, and then at the beginning of the 90s, and then they disappeared. Well, I just watched a video that explained why they disappeared. It was Scotty Kilmer's video. I'll link it in the show notes. I'm not a huge fan of Scotty Kilmer, but he turned over his show to somebody who knew a lot about these and explained what happened. But the bottom line is that they were basically recalled to death. I owned two of these. I had a 1977 Chinook, which was one of the classic, iconic little tiny micro c camper vans and then i also had a mini cruiser which was larger and fully self-contained it basically it had a bathroom and a shower and a tank and all that and it was 17 feet long (laughs) folks that's that's at least three feet shorter than the shortest sprinter why don't we have these anymore and should you buy them well the reason we don't have them anymore is that the cutaway bodies had problems and the manufacturers weren't able to keep up with it because the, they made a deal that the manufacturer and Toyota would split the difference on the recalls. The first recall was on the axles. These were dualies, meaning they had two wheels on each side in the back, but Toyota kind of cheated on the duallys, they didn't actually put in a dually axle, they just bolted two wheels together and stuck them on both sides, which didn't really help distribute weight very much, and those axles failed often. They did finally fix that problem, and eventually they even replaced the engine, which was an amazing engine. The 20R and the 22R series of engines from Toyota, everybody will tell you, were amazing engines. But they were a little underpowered for something this heavy, so Toyota put a V6 in there, and the V6, though it was a decent engine, had a tragic problem with its head cover, and that needed to be replaced, and the economy turned, and a lot of these RV manufacturers went out of business, and this extra burden of, hey, we're going to split the cost on this just killed them. And then Toyota finally said, screw it, we're not making them anymore, basically, in the U.S. They still make them in uh, other countries. Now we know why they don't make them anymore. However, I see them on the road from time to time, and I know a lot of van life folks like classic vehicles. So if you're going to buy one of these, what should you look for? First off, I would recommend any of the Chinooks. The Chinook style, it's a fiberglass shell. You can gut the thing and redo it completely, and that engine was so bulletproof that, yeah, if you can find an old Chinook and you're willing to do a project, I would recommend that. Super easy engine to work on, very reliable, great vehicle. The big problem with those is rust, and, well, there's just not that much there to rust because most of the thing is fiberglass. So old Chinook's excellent. In the later 80s, there were the Sun Raiders, and the Dolphins, and the Mini Cruisers, and even Winnebago made some of these. There was a whole bunch of different companies making them. The thing you have to look for on these is that axle problem, and it's easy to see. If you look at the back wheels, at the hubs, you should see this round hub part that sticks out of the wheel that has a bunch of little bolts on it. That should be obvious. It shouldn't look just like the front wheels. If it's just a wheel there, even if there are two of them, then it doesn't have the right axle, and you're going to have a problem with it. Now, you can replace that axle. Axles are replaceable. It's just a few bolts, but it's an expense, and you should be aware of it. The only other issue I had with owning these is that, well, you have space problems. And the most difficult thing I ran into was the holding tank. The mini cruiser I had had one holding tank. That means the gray water and black water went into the same tank, and it was tiny. It would basically hold 10 gallons. That might have even been the size. And, well, if you take a shower, it's full. Uh, it would, it needed to be emptied like every day, and that just was not possible for boondocking. So the idea was you would use it mostly at campgrounds, and then if you were on the way, you could use the toilet or whatever, but you, would, you wouldn't take a shower in it as a self-contained unit. And that annoyed the crap out of me. No pun intended. So, hey, these are great little vehicles. They're very slow. They're not going to go up hills fast. They have zero towing capability. But for the size of them, there's a lot of interior space. Even if there isn't that much storage, they're pretty easy to work on. And, well, they're kind of retro-cool these days, I guess, in kind of an ugly way. (laughs) Product Review very strange product review. I have a family member who has mobility issues, basically at airports. It's, it's difficult for her to walk long distances in airports. So we were trying to figure out how to deal with this and still have something that was compatible with van life because they happen to be a van life person too. Now, at first I thought, well, you know, they make, they make all kinds of travel wheelchairs. Uh, there's all kinds of foldable travel wheelchairs that are easy to deal with. But you need another person to push them. And she wanted to be independent, which I completely respect. So we started looking at motorized scooters and learned that there is a totally different class of scooters called a mobility scooter that is exempt from FAA battery laws, which is a key point here. I mean, yeah, you could just get a Razor scooter and tootle around the airport with it, but you couldn't actually take it on the plane because the battery is too big put four wheels on that thing and limit its speed to, I think, four miles per hour, it might be six miles per hour, suddenly it's legal to travel with, and it even comes with a flight certificate, and that's what we found, and it is unique, and I, I, I just want to tell you about it, because I know not everyone has the same mobility, and it's very possible that some of you are looking for this solution. This thing is called Otto, A-T-T-O. It is from an Israeli company. You can buy them on Amazon. I will have a link in the show notes. And this scooter, think of a traditional mobility scooter that you might see at the grocery store, for example, and then imagine that folding up to the size of a suitcase that you can carry on a plane. Now, it's a little bit heavy, so it breaks into two pieces, and you can put it in the overhead bin. I'm serious. I have traveled with her with this, and everyone looks on in awe at what we're doing with this thing. It makes you completely independent if walking long distances is your problem. Basically, it folds out in this origami way and you have a very comfortable seat and then an easy to control three wheel scooter. The front wheel is the motor, the floor is the battery, and the seat is this collapsible thing. There's plenty of space under the seat to put a suitcase and it chugs along at four to five miles per hour all day long. I went with her to a museum, and she was able to tootle around the museum all day and then ride the scooter back to the hotel, which was like half a mile away. Battery life is amazing, and it charges in a few hours. I love this thing, honestly, but it's not perfect. Here are some of the drawbacks. Support for this thing is weird. It seems like They're not really supporting it properly in the U.S. The first one she got had a little broken part on it. It was just a little thing. It would be easy to replace. It was two screws. And I was helping her out. I could not find a way to just get this part. We ended up having to have Amazon return this scooter to get a new scooter for a little tiny part. That is ridiculous. But it was our only option. I'm not thrilled with that. Also, this is not the most rugged off-road kind of thing in the world. You wouldn't want to use it in the snow, and I would only use it lightly in the rain. It's really ideal for airports and very short local journeys. You can absolutely ride it down the sidewalk, that's no problem. It's just that it's not really waterproof, and it's not meant to get all muddied up or anything like that. And of course, there's the price it's about $3,000. But if you look at the cost of other mobility scooters, that isn't really that bad. So this is a specialty item. If you think this is something that would help you or you have a relative that could use something like this, feel free to contact me and I will share all my experiences with you and tell you how it all works and stuff. I can even give you a video demonstration. But yeah, there is stuff out there that will help you get to where you need to be if you have trouble getting where you need to be. A place to visit. So, given that we're talking about fuel prices, I was like, how can I recommend a place to visit? Every place I recommend is going to cause people to drive there, and that's going to cost more fuel. And that didn't seem right. I was like, where's a place that everybody can go? And then, bing, it occurred to me. There's a place everybody can go right now that is full of wonder and that people do not take enough advantage of. And that place, my friends is the sky the sky hear me out there is a lot going on up there and we don't spend enough time just looking at the sky i remember being a kid in the 70s and we would lay in the backyard and just look at the sky and i'm not talking about at night i'm talking about during the day We would watch the clouds move and look at the airplanes and try to figure out what airplane it was and see birds going overhead and wondering why they were flying in Vs and why one V was shorter than the others. We'd see smoke and wonder where it was from. We'd see all kinds of things up there and it was wonderful. It gave us this sense of being part of the world and being out there and I think we should do more of that. I think Everybody can benefit from looking at the sky, no matter where you are. And yes, I'm talking about the daytime. Of course, you can always look at the sky at night when it fills with twinkly lights. Some of them are man-made, and you can easily track those man-made ones to learn their history. I mean, I love finding a blinking point of light moving quickly across the sky, pulling up my app and finding out that it's the remains of a Russian satellite from 1967 that went out of orbit and started tumbling. I love that stuff because I'm seeing a bit of history floating right overhead. And of course, there's ISS and the Chinese space station and all these iridium flares. I mean, there is a lot going on up there, and I think we don't spend enough time looking at it. Kate Bush has a song called The Big Sky. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Go ahead and give it a listen and see if you too can get excited about visiting the sky. Because you know what, folks? That doesn't cost any fuel at all. Resource recommendation. Yeah, okay, this is a little bit fuel-related, but it's more related to this crazy project that I promised I wouldn't tease you about again, and yet here I am. Uh, there's a... <laughs> You're familiar with Google Maps and Apple Maps and Waze and probably all of those. There is another navigation app that is very specific in what it does, and it's actually a website. It's called Flattest route. And now you know everything about it, and I can stop talking because they did a good job naming it. No, it literally will show you the flattest route between two places, or at least compare how flat routes are. And, well, why does that matter? It matters if you're driving a really old, slow vehicle that has trouble getting up hills, or if you're riding a bike, or if you're walking, or if you just want to save fuel. It's very simple. You go to the website, you ignore all the ads because hey, it's 2022. And then it says check trip elevation and you type in your locations. And you also tell it whether you're driving or cycling or running because it'll change routes on that. And then it brings up a graph that shows you your altitude change. So for example, if you were gonna start in Western Colorado and go to Eastern Kansas, you would have a graph with a big hill in the middle because that's the Rockies. And there are ways around that. You don't have to go straight over the Rockies into Denver. You can go north where they're not quite as steep or go south where, heck, if you go south enough, they kind of don't exist at all. This is another arrow in your quiver for planning trips. So flattest route. It isn't the most sophisticated site in the world, but it is enough to help you plan your general route. To avoid really big hills if you have a reason to do so, whatever that reason might be. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 115. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. This is going to be a crazy summer. A crazy summer. That's right, I said summer, and I really hope you stick around for it. I don't even know how all this stuff's going to turn out. But until next time, remember the words of Aldous Huxley, there are things known and there are things unknown. And in between are the doors of perception.